This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, we're still not out of the woods yet. Even after yesterday's soothing words from the Fed, followed by a meandering day like today, Dow ultimately dipping 28 points, S&P declining 0.22%, NASDAQ losing 0.25%. Now, with these G20 talks in Argentina on the horizon, I believe the president's poised to take a carrot-and-stick approach to China, taking the tariffs from 10% to 25% in January. Well, that's the stick. Holding off on applying tariffs to the other $250 billion worth the Chinese exports until our manufacturers can source elsewhere. Well, that's the carrot. Will it work? Wrong question, people. You should be asking yourself what to buy here, even if President Trump raises the stakes of the trade war, which is what I expect. My view, you need stocks with building catalysts. The stocks of companies that are willing to reinvent themselves into something the market likes more than their current form. Now, I've got four examples. These are typical examples, okay? Uh, these are the, uh, companies whose stocks I think will be good places to go when the president goes on the offensive against his buddy pal friend, President Xi in China. First, there's the amazing story of Dollar Tree, which happens to be on the show with us later tonight. That's not why I picked it, although the stock was the biggest percentage gainer in the S&P 500 today. Four years ago, Dollar Tree bought Family Dollar. It's been a rocky road since then. While Dollar Tree's always been a fabulous operator, and Kramer personal shopping fave, by the way, anyone who's ever been to a Family Dollar, that's, remember, they bought it, finds it quizzical at best, and I'm being diplomatic. Now, I got a Family Dollar and a Dollar Tree right near my place on the Jersey Shore. The Dollar Tree's so pristine you could eat off the floor. Not that you would want to do that. Family Dollar, wow, shabby, uninviting, needs to be fixed. Today, we learned that when Dollar Tree renovates a family dollar, the numbers go much higher. And the company still has a ton of room to renovate. There are 6,923 Dollar Trees and 8,264 family dollars. Today, we want CEO Gary Philbin to tell us exactly what happens when they fix up these stores, because the company could have years of growth just from remodeling. At the moment, Wall Street loves these discount chains. They love Burlington Stores, TJX, and Dollar General. Now, Dollar Tree will join that fabulous trio, and I think you can buy any of them on Monday. You need to be ready because I'm sure the vast majority of Wall Street types have never been to a Dollar Tree. They don't know how nice it is. They don't know how good the stores are. They probably don't know the shopping feel. And they probably certainly can't get their arms around how much of the merchandise does indeed come from China. Now, I like that management's already planning for 25% tariffs and is adjusting its sourcing to get to the heck out of Dodge or Beijing or Shanghai, as the case may be. Look, this company, Dollar Tree, is so good at finding merchandise cheaply that I think the sellers will come, mon- will come Monday if they dump the stock. will regret it. Why? Because I think Dollar Tree will be able to find that same level of merchandise for less, even though they have Chinese issues. Second reinvention story is CVS. Last night, CVS closed on one of the most exciting acquisitions I can remember. 
purchasing Aetna, the giant health insurer. I don't think people understand how potent this combination could be. I've been telling members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that CVS, which trades at $80, can go higher simply thanks to the power of arithmetic. Before the CVS Aetna deal closed, Aetna stock sold for 20 times earnings because the health insurers are one of the hottest cohorts in the market. CVS trades at just 11 times this year's earnings because of worries about Amazon. Now that CVS and Aetna have combined forces, I expect the stock to be valued more like a healthcare play than a retailer. Remember, these are stocks I'm giving you that are reinventing themselves. And that could easily take CVS to 100, up $20 from where it is right now. I know some people are probably fretting about all the $40 billion CVS borrowed in order to pay for Aetna, but this company will generate $10 billion in cash flow next year. Can't me not concerned. Reinvention story number three is McDonald's. Now, I've been saying for a while now that if you wanted to craft the perfect stock for this particular environment, it would look a lot like McDonald's. The chain has very little exposure to the vicissitudes of the global economy. It sold off its Chinese stores a while ago, and it's digitizing its business. But the real appeal of McDonald's has to do with the way money managers think. When the Fed blinked and indicated it would hold off on more rate hikes after the next one yesterday, a lot of Wall Streeters figured that the Fed must know something they don't. They now assume something's very wrong with the economy. They just can't see it. And they're also terrified of the upcoming tariff increases. In that kind of environment, these fund managers will want to buy the stock of McDonald's. Now, the Golden Arch is caught in a kind of really important upgrade today from Morgan Stanley, and it focused on the company's reinvention. The incredible remodeling effort spearheaded by CEO Steve Easterbrook here in the United States. Once the reinvention is finished, and Steve, take us to one that's refurbished, and we will do the show at your store, the cash flow potential will be enormous. Finally, there's an old fave of mine, Constellation Brands. The alcohol company you know as the maker of Modelo and Corona, as well as some pricey wine and good spirits. Modelo, Corona, fantastic. Brooklyn. Now, Constellation is really doing a major reinvention. How? They're reinventing themselves as a booze and marijuana play. This morning, as part of the Deal Economy Conference, I had the privilege of interviewing Bruce Linton. He's the CEO of the world's largest pure play cannabis company called Canopy Growth, which Constellation owns a major stake in. And he gave us our first glimpse of how Canada's post-prohibition ganja market is doing after six weeks of legalization? The answer? The answer is sharply better than expected. And yet Constellation stock is down a great deal since it invested in Canopy, which, by the way, is a big board-listed company. Now, I know from my interviews with the CFO of PepsiCo and the CEO of Coca-Cola that neither company is interested in this market. Uh, Bad for the brand. I know that Molson Coors is trying to dip its toes in the cannabis waters. Even Alchia, the tobacco company that brought you the Marlboro Man, which is currently buying a stake in Juul, you know, the maker of those fruit-flavored vape things that are beloved by children. Even they don't want to touch cannabis. Hmm. In fact, I can only think of one other large company that's thinking of moving into the bud business in a major way, and it's a privately held liquor company. So Constellation seems to have the jump on everyone else. Don't forget, with Canopy, you get exposure to both the medical. They just started a large trial in nursing homes where the elderly are routinely drugged with opioids, and you also get the recreational. Constellation, you get a company that already knows how to create good-tasting liquids that get people intoxicated. Constellation is now creating liquids that will get its users high with no calories. Bruce said it will be ready in the fourth quarter of 2019 for those people who actually want to get high for no calories. I, I don't know what that's about. 
I told Bruce that this cannabis field feels a little reminiscent of the dot-com era where a lot of them failed. He totally agreed. But he also pointed out that there's still a handful of fabulous long-term winners that came out of that period. <laughs> Remember, Amazon, uh, Alphabet. Anyway, thanks to Canopy's head start, its market share, and its $4 billion war chest, he believes the company will be one of the winners this time around. I asked him about Constellation. He said he bought a ton of Constellation when the deal closed. But his plan is to make Canopy the biggest piece of the growing Constellation pie. That would represent some serious reinvention. Bottom line, when we come in on Monday, you need to be ready in case President Trump spends the whole night back from Argentina tweeting about his best friend, Putty Pal, Buddy Pal, President Xi, forced him, forced him to ignite the 25% tariff fuse. If he does, you're going to get a down market. And in that, I would buy, in weakness, the mothers of reinvention, Dollar Tree, CVS Health, Mickey D's, STZ. Let's take calls. Let's go to Gary in Texas. Gary. Hey, Jim. Uh, before I ask you my question, I'd like to give you props for your efforts to uh, educate people and encourage them to use index funds. Um, That's the basis. That's the fundament of all investing. First is index funds and then mad money. And even though I have a show about individual stocks, it's first index funds because that's what I do. I can't be two-faced. I can't tell you not to and have me do it. What's up? Yeah, and I think it's uh, the best solution I know of to income inequality, which is a really serious problem. I agree with you. I don't know anyone who's doing more than you. I agree with you. So, uh, Secondly, I um, want to thank you for turning me on to Etsy. I didn't know about it, and I'm glad you told me uh, about it. My question, story. though, is about Square. Um, and uh, at this point in time, um, I'm wondering if you think I should just hold what I have. I'm talking about my mad money. Uh, right. Hold it or buy more. No, I think you should just hold it. I, I think it's a great story. Etsy. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, Sarah Fryer has been on the show a number of times. Now moves to next door. It's a great product, by the way. We use it. Uh, my restaurant uh, uh, square is good. Don't don't put more money into it, though. You're doing just fine. I share. I see square readers now in a lot of different stores that, that you can buy. Let's go to Richard in Connecticut. Richard. Richard. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, OK, this is concerning. Take two interactive. Yeah, it's I own the stock about 10 points higher than what it closed at today. And it's been trading between 105 and 110 right. forever. And I'm just wondering, if the group finally woke up today a bit. Well, it did. Then, Look, I think GameStop reported a bad number. If the close to the group might be down, that may be an opportunity to buy more. Buy, buy, buy. Because it really has nothing. doesn't correlate with GameStop. It correlates with the genius that is Red Dead Redemption. Ron in Texas. Ron. Good evening, Jim. I have nine stocks and sold Facebook about eight weeks ago, and I want to get back to 10 stocks, all in different businesses. I'd like to buy a broken-down stock that I can hold for a year or longer that is not broken, that pays dividends. Just wondering if I could get your blessing with Schlumberger. Schlumberger, well, I've got to tell you, I had a convenient meeting with uh, Jeff Fema. I'm sorry, with Zev Fema and Jeff Marks, who work with me on Action Alerts for the club. We debated buying some Schlumberger today because oil's moving up. I still think the prognosis is too negative. We're not picking up any more yet. We prefer, if you wanted to, you can be in BP. Got a, a better yield and better near-term prospects. Thank you for that call. I wouldn't be surprised if we are brought into a stock cyclone if the bulls don't get their way this weekend. And I don't think you will, bulls, because it's not about the market. It's about hegemony and keeping our country strong. 
you now have a shopping list that I think could really work in this environment. Oh, man, tonight, Dollar Tree is known for luring customers. That's a Philadelphia way to say it. With discounts, but could it also be the best place to hunt for bargains in the stock market? I'm eyeing the company after earnings. Then, the Fed has spoken. But what does Powell's latest move signal? I'm going to give you my take. But first, I'm getting the state of the retail sector from the CEO of the company behind the beloved brands of Calvin Klein and Tommy Elfinger. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of PVH, fresh off its report. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Now that the market is taking on a more bullish tone, we need to reassess some of these brutal declines. Take PVH, the apparel company you know as Calvin Klein, Tommy Ilfiger, and a host of other brands. When PVH last reported three months ago, it delivered a pretty good quarter, but the stock had already run up dramatically, so the numbers were judged to be not quite good enough the darn thing went into freefall. Then we started worrying about a global slowdown, the escalating trade war with China, not good for a company that gets the, some of its business overseas and some parts of it, the bulk of it. We got a stronger dollar, same problem. People began to fret about the retail industry in the United States. What about the possibility of some serious shortfalls for the holidays? Put it all together and you can understand why PVH's stock has lost 30% of its value since the last time reported. But I think the decline is, I don't know, maybe overdone. And now that the Fed has decided not to repeatedly slam the brakes on the economy, I think it's worth another look. Tonight, PVH reported its latest quarter, seven-cent earnings beat off a 314 basis, basically slightly weaker than expected revenue, up 7% year-over-year, solid guidance. While Calvin Klein was tepid, up 2%, Tommy Hilfiger was on fire, up 11%. Quarter wasn't perfect, but given how far the stock has fallen, I've got to believe that these numbers are going to start attracting buyers. Let's take a closer and deeper look with Manny Trico, the chairman and CEO of PVH. Hear more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Trico, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Manny. Have a seat. Thank you. Well, Manny, you have always been candid. You've come on in good times and bad times, and I know the stock is trading down. Then I think it's trading down, frankly, because you called out right at the top that you were disappointed with Calvin Klein with the Halo business, which I think is some really nice-looking uh, clothes, higher designer clothes, and with Calvin Klein jeans. And I think that's what people decided to focus on. Well, you know, Jim, I think when you look at the, the strength of our business is that we're a portfolio company, diversified business model. You touched on in your opening about the strength of Tommy. The Calvin business, and I think you really have to look at it on a 12-month basis, the last 12 months, the business on the top line is up just about 7% for the year, and earnings are up 2% for the year. So we're disappointed with the operating margins in the business, okay. and they've been negatively impacted by the two issues you talked about, our jeans business. I think we've gone from a fashion point of view uh, and an elevation point of view too far, too fast. Raised prices uh, going into this market, and I think we're, we'll adjust it as we go into the spring season. But you know, on a relative basis, 
every other piece of the Calvin business really performing very strongly for us. Well, these are fashion issues. They, right. I, mean, I remember when Lulu had a fashion off issue, the stock got cut in half, and then it doubled. Mm-hmm. You get the fashion right, people come right back. We have nothing structural with jeans, because I know what VF's doing. They seem to have gotten tired of the jean business. Well, I, look, I think that's totally different, d- d- things, right? d- different things. And, and Calvin is a $9 billion global brand at a, in, on a retail basis, and jeans represents about 10% of that volume. So it's not a jeans brand. It's a brand that sells jeans. Uh, it's a much bigger intimate underwear business, much bigger men's and women's sportswear business. So it's not a function of the jeans business, but we have to be uh, honest about it. We didn't get the fashion right in jeans, and we're making those adjustments as we go forward. And I think you know, when you look at the business, uh, our operating margins year over year are down 70 basis points, and that's what we're projecting for the year. And we're highly confident as we go into next year that we'll raise operating margins next year 75 to 100 basis points. So we've, we feel it's a moment in time. We, we have some challenges in that business, but we really think that it, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that brand. I mean, just look at the top-line growth. Right. That, that, cost, that, that brand has got great consumer recognition, and we see great, significant growth opportunities. But Tommy Hilfiger is really on fire. Absolutely. I mean, the numbers were amazing. Where's that strength coming from, and can it continue? Well, I, you know, it is really coming from everywhere. Uh, internationally, right. we continue to see strong growth. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing people talk about a slowdown in Europe. Yes. We're not seeing it at all. The Tommy brand uh, had a very strong international, double-digit earnings, uh, top-line growth and earnings growth. In the U.S., single, mid-single-digit top-line growth and double-digit earnings growth, so really high margins. And for both brands, Calvin and Tommy, Europe continues to be very strong. And we're off to a great start in this fourth quarter as we've gotten into the black. Uh, well, tell us black about that because you know all the ones that I like. You know what what uh, what uh, Gannett's doing at Macy's. Uh, 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 what Michelle's doing at Kohl's. The stock's down today. I mean, everyone's kind of given up on these. But should we give up on them? You've got some good read on them. No, I, look, I, I think when you look at what's happening with the business as we've gone into the fourth quarter, weather turned colder. And, you know, Black Friday, that whole week was just very strong for us in particular. And then as I look at retail, based on what I've seen, uh, I think some of the players you talked about are very happy with their results as they've gone into it. So we're pretty bullish about how we are. I think we're conservatively planning the fourth okay. quarter. So we have a real opportunity to outperform the fourth quarter guidance we've given. I thought there was an interesting stat you gave on the release about heritage. Wholesale, really, really strong. Is that direct to consumer? Uh, some of that direct to consumer, and some of that also just, just through our department store channel, but which is so strong. much bigger. Uh, very strong. I mean, as particularly our dress, our dress shirt and neckwear business continues to do very well. And our IZOD uh, sportswear and Van Usen sportswear business is, I mean, just off the charts and some significant marketing campaigns going on. I know. I like the campaign. Yeah, with, uh, with the Green Bay Packer quarterback Aaron Rodgers for, for IZOD and with uh, Van Usen with the UFC and what we're doing there. It's so definitely it's really working. been making a connection, working really well for us. Talking about sourcing because, you know, we're all concerned about China. G20, I think it's going to go not that great in terms of uh, what would happen to you. Uh, 25% tend to go. 25%. What did it mean? Well, for us, uh, look, fortunately, at this moment in time, the apparel is not pulled into this tariff, right. but it's the next $250 billion, and a lot of posturing on both sides going on. Competitively, you know, I'm not going to say to you if tariffs go in, it won't be painful for us, but on a 
competitive basis, about 20, a little less than 20% of our U.S. production comes from China. And given that over half our sales are outside of China, it represents about 7 to 8% of our That's cost all. of goods sold overall China for the United States. So I think is we're a big company, so you know, th- that, that number is not small when you translate. It's $70 million of tariffs that we have to deal with. But I think... What we're hoping for, whatever comes, however this plays out, we hope, we're hoping that there's a little bit of lead time to react. Well, we say, don't go in to, we, to, you know, that we're not sitting here in January, in January, raising tariffs January 1st. I mean, you've been adept at selling, you, know, you can go to Cambodia, you know, you're world travel, right? We, we just, like, yes, yeah, we need some time. So you don't move supply chains overnight. You'd like to get a, a six-month window and also to be able to react. To, you know, look, the unfortunate thing about it is, Who's going to be hurt by this is, is the consumer. We have to raise prices to make up for a 25% tariff. So that balance and how we try to do that intelligently, I think some lead time would help in that whole situation. Hopefully, that situation resolves. Okay. Thank you so much to Manny Trigo's chairman, CEO of PBH. Stock's down too much. Mad Money's back after the break. Thank you. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one-size-fits-all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Welcome to day two of the new world. A world where the Fed is going to tighten one more time and then wait before taking any additional action. That's one problem down. One more to go. Look out. That one's China. Remember, if we're going to avert a slowdown next year, we need the president to make some kind of deal with the Chinese. And I don't think we'll get one. Uh, That's the problem here, at least for stocks, not for those of us who believe that the Chinese don't play fair and want action. But let's put that in the closet. We're talking about making money here. Now, we can play the guessing game what's going to happen. What did Fed Chief Jerome Powell see that caused him to capitulate yesterday? Doing a radical about face from his hardline stance articulated at the beginning of October? Was he afraid of what would happen if the tariffs on roughly half of all Chinese imports go from 10% to 25%? Because I think they will. Uh, Why not think that way? Peter Navarro, the hardliner, he's at the dinner table. Was he worried about impending layoffs coming in housing and uh, retail to complement those we've already seen in the auto industry? Something that seems obvious from today's spike in jobless claims. Maybe he's predicting a wave of failures among the numerous non-bank lenders that now account for half, half of the $1.6 trillion mortgage market, many of them floating. Or perhaps Powell was simply being prudent. It seems like the Fed has won its war against inflation, which was done in by a peaking economy. The crash in oil prices and so many other commodities. And of course, uh, I would say the ever lower price war between the likes of Amazon and Walmart. The Fed has no urgent need to tighten anymore. Inflation's already whipped. I bet we'll see a negative consumer price index. You heard me. Negative CPI within the next couple of months. You better believe there are a lot of people who are playing this guessing game what's really going wrong. Remember, we had a whole cohort of supposed experts who were adamantly defending Powell's earlier views that the economy is red hot and stayed hot. Many of these people do not speak to CEOs regularly, and they don't think deep enough to get the full story. Powell did a lot more homework and discovered the negatives I've been talking to you about every night. 
So we threw those folks under the bus, and they didn't see it coming. Now they're scrambling to find some explanation beyond the obvious that business has been getting weaker across a number of important industries. Yet some money managers, they're desperate to uncover the newfound rot in the system, and it was somehow obscured by strong employment numbers. By the way, I think those numbers have gotten as hot as they can. Now the second biggest generator and job creator in America, the oil industry has cratered, crewed down 32% in less than two months. It's not like investors are going to betting on a bounce. The independent oil producers have seen their stocks plunge to levels that are lower than where they were trading in early 2016 when crude traded at the $20, you know, it was what, about 26, 27. I mean, geez. Could be going back there. Meanwhile, the jewelers and oil service companies are in extreme bear market territory, even after today. And don't forget, one more bad weekly jobless claim number came out this morning. Yet there are plenty of professional money managers who seem to think the fragile nature of this economy is some kind of mystery. So when we will, so when will we see actually weaker monthly employment numbers? I think they'll start to deteriorate after the Fed pushes through that one more rate hike. Don't forget, rate hikes cause hiring to slow down. There's a direct causal relationship there. The usual sources of growth, housing, services, retail, healthcare, and manufacturing, are all waning here because interest rates have already gotten so high. The people pushing for higher rates will tell you that's impossible, can't be. Not with short-term rates just north of 2%, long-term rates only at 3%. But focusing on the absolute numbers here is a mistake. Look at the mortgage market. The problem isn't that you need to pay 5% for mortgage. It's that the interest on your existing mortgage might be 3%. That 5% mortgage may not be expensive by historical standards. Oh boy, but it's real expensive compared to the mortgage you already have. So why trade up, which is so important in the housing market? So here's what I suggest. Keep your powder dry until Monday if you haven't bought anything yet. Hey, you know what? Maybe even do some trimming tomorrow, especially if you're weaker stocks and not your winners. And that's exactly what we've been doing for the charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. The important thing, though, is that you brace yourself for some weaker data, the data that caused the Fed to recalibrate, pulling back from its earlier plan for an aggressive series of lockstep rate hikes. That would have been a mistake with the economy peaking, not to mention next year we're going to anniversary the tax cuts and the Fed's already taking liquidity out of the system with a de facto tightening, selling their huge, well, letting go their huge pile of long-term bonds. Something they should have been doing, jeez, a long time ago. All right, there's no ticking time bomb. However, there is a degree of risk that makes me uncomfortable going into this weekend, even as we no longer need to fear the Fed as much as we did 48 hours ago. Joe in Ohio. Joe! Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Joe. Good to have you on the show. What's up? We're a lower-income family. We're a lower-income family that's here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. We do anything possible to make ends meet. And not only do we work to pay bills, we also recycle aluminum cans. The aluminum prices are way low right now, Jim. Do you think the aluminum prices will go up again and when? Because Christmas is coming. We have kids. Uh, I don't see. My call, Jim. I, well, you know what? I, I don't see aluminum prices coming back anytime soon. Look, aluminum is being recycled. Uh, we do a good job recycling it. And what that is going to mean is that the prices are going to stay low for some time. But keep fighting. Keep fighting. Other ways to make money. We'll do it here. All right, this weekend is an all-important one. Keep your powder dry until it passes. Much more made money yet. If you had a dollar, would you buy Dollar Tree? After today's move higher after earnings, I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out what's ahead for the company. Then Powell has spoken. But what could the Fed's next move mean for online lenders? SoFi! I'm talking about the impact of interest rates with the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I throw food at the dog, keeps hitting the dog's head, okay? I mean, the dog is so stupid, it's incredible. I threw food, he's like, boom, 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 boom. Well, you know, some people in government are like uh, Bob Marley, my new dog. We want to get to some news out of DC before. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Money doesn't grow on trees. And this company wants to show you the value of a dollar. Has the stock spent too much time on the discount rack? Or will Dollar Tree leave investors seeing green? Want more evidence that the non-China related bear market could at last be running its course? Look at Dollar Tree. This morning, the dollar store chain that also owns Family Dollar reported, and at first glance, the results were not so hot, which is why the stock initially got clobbered in pre-market trading, down roughly 5% at one point. Then the conference call got going, and the stock came roaring back, with Dollar Tree opening, ultimately increasing more than 6%. Biggest gain in the S&P 500 today. So why the whiplash? Simple. The market found a silver lining, and it turned things around, something that probably wouldn't have happened before Fed Chief Jay Powell's comments yesterday. Okay, the company reported mixed quarter, modest earnings, beat with almost but not quite in line revenues, just 1% same store sales growth when Wall Street was looking for about 1.4. The core Dollar Tree biz doing fine, up 2.3%. Family Dollar down 0.4%. And management's guidance for the next quarter viewed as disappointing, and they lowered the high end of the full-year earnings forecast. All that was in the press release. The problem was the Family Dollar stores. However, there was some real bullishness here in the conference call. Family Dollar stores the company renovated have been putting up some excellent numbers. Management's accelerating the renovation schedule. Dollar Tree's management stressed at this point on the conference call, which is why the stock rebounded. So could this be the beginning of the rebound for a stock that's been languishing all year that you know I have loved? Let's take a closer look at Gary Philbin. He's the president and CEO of Dollar Tree. Find out more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Philbin, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Hey, Jim. Thanks Thank for being Thank you so here. much for coming Thank on, you. Gary. My Thank pleasure. you. Uh, first of all, it looks like, for those of us who've been frustrated because we love our Dollar Tree, but our family dollar store is not necessarily as nice, this might have been the beginning. I think so. It was an important call for us to add clarity to really what our strategy is. And uh, from the very beginning, we've said we need to fix uh, the stores. And the confidence we have now, Jim, with the renovations, as we said, let's put our foot to the pedal and go for the renovations up to 1,000 next right. year. Well, you've got 8,000, so, I mean, it really could be a multi-year rollout of renovation and better numbers. Well, we think so, just not renovations. I should say at least a minimum right. because I would say let's shoot for 1,000 and do more if we can. Okay. But I do see it being a multi-year trajectory to really get to an inflection point. I need as many stores done with renovations that allows me to have confidence that the stores ahead of me, I have as many behind me. Right. So it's just a sheer equation of arithmetic at this point. Well, you know, I've always loved your stock. And the reason is because there's so many snobs in Wall Street. But I like my Dollar Tree at as it, uh, that's near Asbury Park. I like my Dollar Tree that is in the Hamptons. But best of all was the Dollar Tree I always went to with my late father, with Pop. I, I even took pictures of it because he liked the candy aisle so much. Do you think people... Re- <laughs> Oh, there we go. Do you think, oh, uh, do you think Wall Street doesn't go enough to the stores? Because I, my father always said, this can't be only for a dollar. This can't be only for a dollar. Well, if they do go, they're not always our primary customer. Okay, I okay. think it's our customer that uh, shops us every day because uh, it's a thrill of the hunt. Or maybe she needs us. Or maybe it's just that surprise. And if there's a time to go and discover Dollar Tree for the first time, come during December. If you're going to wrap bags, trim a home, trim a tree, 
that's the right time we, of the year. We go exactly. We also do July 4th because we always love your. Now, sure. how do you get that stuff for a dollar, given the fact that a lot of it seems like it's from China? We're going to have uh, sourcing problems, Family Dollar or Dollar Tree. I know that Family Dollar gets a lot of stuff from China. Well, we do about double at Dollar Tree as we do at Family Dollar from around the world. It's not just all China, but clearly the biggest part is from China at Dollar Tree. Forty percent is coming from Asia. Forty percent, 50 percent is domestic. People forget that sometimes. So we've worked real hard on the tariff piece, knowing that 10 percent is in place. We're expecting 25 percent to come beginning of January. And, and credit to our merchants who have worked around this. Well, doesn't it have to hurt your margins if you try to keep things at a dollar? Well, you know, you would think so. When oil was $150 a barrel years back, that affects it. We've always been a company that we can control our margin. If you look at our history, pretty tight band of gross margins. And we, that's not good. You don't think that's going to change, right? We have it. Our work, merchants work very hard to say either change the product change the equation of what we make it with, or change the country now with the China tariff. And there are the countries that can make these things, right? Maybe not always at the scale we can. Listen, we're going to work real hard. The tariff is a real issue for every retailer. You're not going to be able to pick up a supply chain and move it very quickly. But we can make selection on products where we do buy it from and how we make it. And it can over time if you have enough time. Certainly, we've always thought over time we can. Now, one thing that seemed, you guys are so transparent, it's incredible. You right up point, lack of truck drivers. What can you do about that? I'm not sure. We uh, could start a truck driving school, but really, Jim, until everything I read says, until we get to the mid part of 2019, it's a real issue for the industry. Uh, we make it up by being as productive as we can in our distribution centers, in our stores, everywhere else we operate our company. But it's a real issue for domestic supplies of truck drivers. But is it possible that 2019 could be better both for the China source and for truck drivers? Is there any reason to be pessimistic about either of us? We're retailers by trade. Right. We're optimists. optimists. Absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, comparison, Walmart. Comparison, Amazon. Yeah. On pricing. Yeah. We're, we're at a dollar. It's pretty simple. <laughs> And sometimes they would take a beating if they go in in your world. And how do you get, I mean, first of all, how do you get the, you brought them. I mean, some of these brands are my generation brands. You do have a bit of nostalgia and treasure hunt in Dollar Tree. It's the thrill of the hunt. It's something for everybody. It's what your generation, mine, might remember growing up as kids. Yes. But it's also the kids that come through with that dollar in their hand and think about, my gosh, I can buy anything in this store. Well, I think that people who are trying to figure out the stock should go to the store because the store, particularly go during the season, get the balloons. That's what we like to do on any birthday we go. One last thing we got to clear up. Um, I happen to be a huge consumer of your sunglasses, which I used, I used to wear Ray-Bans that was exorbitant. These look exactly the same. And when I lose them, I don't want to shoot myself. David Faber this morning suggested that perhaps my lenses on my Dollar Tree sunglasses weren't up to snuff. Any truth? I heard that, and uh, I'll leave it up to you, but David is wrong. They do pass all testing on UV blockage. And, and you are able to get them for a dollar? How is that possible? What do you get them for, 59 cents? How do you get them? We work really hard. That's part of the magic at Dollar Tree. Well, it, it is magical, as Pop would have told you. That was his favorite thing to do on Saturdays. Hey, let's go give them a beating, is what he said. But it sounds like you did okay, too. We did. <laughs> okay. That's Gary Feldman, president of Dollar Tree, and it's back. And I think it never really left, but they had to redo those stores. And when they do, it's going to be terrific for the whole multi-year plan. Mad Money's back after the break. 
It is time! It's out of the light record! Let's bump up for who wants to be seen. Bye bye bye. And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round quiz. We're going to start with Joel in Iowa. Joel. Hi, Jim. Joel. Hey, I was just wondering about Dow DuPont, and I've been caught in a loss on a three-way split. I think you what should you buy think? more. I told people at a deal economy conference, part of the street.com day, that I think the breakup pain is over and the game is about to start. Please, let's not write off Ed Breen. He's did it before. He's going to do it again. Three companies, maybe even you get five. I like the stock. Doug in Iowa. Doug. Hey, Jim. I just want to thank you for doubling my 401k, and I watch every show. Ah, you're a good man. Thank you. Long day today. Needed to hear that. Appreciate it. What's going on? Well, all I wanted to say is NYMT has paid uh, almost 14% for 10 years, and why aren't more people in it? Well, because we don't really know what they own, sir, and that's the problem. It's too opaque. And when companies are opaque, it's hard for me to say, hey, go buy that stock. I don't really know what they own, but that's fine. And that's the problem. Thank you for the kind kudos on the 401k story. Let's go to Richard in South Carolina. Richard. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am good, Richard. How about you? Thank you for everything you do for the small investor. Oh, thank you. I bought, I bought AT&T stock right before the Time Warner deal, expecting to take off, and it went the other way. Yeah, I, I, like I think the dividend, the, uh, What do you look, think? I hate to ever say the worst, the worst is over because I don't like their debt load. That said, I think they have the cash flow to pay for the debt load, so I can't recommend the stock. I do prefer Verizon. Let's go to Jim in Kentucky. Jim. Yes. Go ahead, Jim. What about Home Depot? All right, look, Home Depot's down a lot. I have no catalyst. There are other retailers that are doing better. I think Costco's doing better than Home Depot. I am not going to tell you just standard, but I think that Lowe's has a turnaround story from Marvin Ellison. But anybody who buys Home Depot and puts it away for the next 18 months, I think it's going to do quite well. I need to go to Susan in California. Susan. Hi, Jim. Susan. Um, I'm interested in the stock NIO. No, we don't recommend any Chinese stocks. I mean, we've got a trade. It's not a skirmish. It's a war. Uh, and it's not just about trade anymore. It's about American hegemony versus uh, the Chinese decision to try to, in 2025, uh, take a lot of inertia's away. We don't need them. Let's go to Tony in California. Tony. Hey, bringing you a big barrier. Booyah. Good deal. Hey, I got a suggestion for your portfolio page. Maybe you should have a penalty box in there alongside the bullpen. I like that idea. I'm going to talk about Maybe that tonight with the team. I like that idea a lot. All right. Well, anyway, my, my stock is Abbott Labs, and I'd like to know it's had such a big run. It's almost reached Do not touch Abbott and- Labs. It's a big position, as you know, sir, for the AxelorsPlus.com club. I think the stock can go still higher. Charlie in Pennsylvania. Charlie. Who are you, Jim? Who are you, Charlie? A fan since you were with Larry Legend on Clubbo and Kramer. Uh, hey, yeah, Larry. Man, Larry's got it. I mean, I've been on the wrong side of the uh, like, uh, It's more like the Navarro side of the trade deals, the one that's going to work there. What's up? <laughs> hey, I noticed Nielsen spike today. What to do? Buy you know, I can't recommend hell. a stock that I wouldn't buy on uh, fundamentals if I just want to take over business. Uh, I know they're getting some bid interest. Uh, I think the stock is probably a little too high. I'm going to say no. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. All right, we got a 
treat for you tonight. Yesterday in his big speech, Fed Chief Jerome Powell went out of his way to highlight the risks in a certain part of the financial system called the non-bank lenders. Recent years, these lightly regulated companies have burst on the scene. Now they've got major market share already. They account for half of the current mortgage market. So what exactly is going on here? Okay, now some of these non-bank lenders are unsavory, but the best of them are like SoFi. It's a privately held online lender that started off refinancing student loans and has since moved into all sorts of other categories, including mortgages, even traditional bank accounts. SoFi tries to set itself apart with a more personalized business model, offering customers career advice, even dating events, in order to keep them engaged. It's part of the bank, part social network. It's what the kids like. But last year, the company ran into some trouble when its founder and CEO was forced out due to sexual harassment claims. Fortunately, SoFi found a very good replacement, who happens to be a longtime friend of the show. So let's check in with him. Uh, I'm talking about Anthony Noto. He's the CEO of SoFi, former CEO of Twitter, as well as a distinguished graduate of West Point. Go Army, beat Navy, who can help shed some light on the non-bank lending space and how SoFi is revolutionizing both banking and personal finance. Mr. Noto, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Anthony. How are you? Oh, Jim, it's a pleasure. Uh, have a seat. Anthony, I got to tell you, I signed up for it. I signed up for SoFi. It took me about 10 seconds. That's awesome. Uh, it is Simple, easy, and the reason I pointed out first is that's what that generation wants, Anthony. That's exactly right. We're really excited about SoFi Money, an all-in-one account. Right. You can save, you can spend, you can pay your friends, you can pay your bills. Use an ATM card, use a debit card, and we give you 2% interest, no fees, no restrictions. I, I, I did want to ask you, how do I get that? Why am I getting 2%? That seems like a lot of money. Sure. We have a relationship with a bank that pays us on the deposits, and we're passing that along to the consumer. We, we're taking a very long-term view about our relationship with our members. We want our members to be at the center of what we do. We want to help them get their money right. And so in order to do that, we want to make it very easy and very flexible, but also give them a great value. And the 2% is a great value with no restrictions. Can't find that anyplace else. How come else. no one else is doing this? I mean, you have the field seemingly to yourself. Yeah, we're taking, a, we're taking a long-term view. Because we have more than lending and student loans and personal loans and mortgage, you know, this one element, SoFi Money, is just one piece of that broader portfolio. Um, and we can take a long-term view against our members and help them get their money right. And along the way, we'll make money, maybe not at first, but over time. Now, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, I wanted to tell you that my first experience with it made me think, you know what, there's a birds and bees element to money. I don't know if you have it that way. We have kids about the same age. It's, almost, it's hard for me to talk about money with my kids. It shouldn't be because I talk about money, right? But I don't want to give them advice on insurance. I don't want to talk about that with them. I don't want to give them necessarily advice on how they want to do their asset, asset structure. You guys do that. It's a kind of a birds and bees discussion about money. Well, we can fill that void, Jim. We want to differentiate on not just having a member experience, but also being able to provide advice. Everything from career advice that we do with Corn Ferry, for those that don't know, Corn Ferry is a great search firm. We have a partnership with them. We can give each of our members for free career advice. We also have certified financial planners, again, free as part of the membership. And of course, we have networking events for them on the professional side. And so it's not just the financial services products, but it's the education and the advice along the way, again, to help them get their money right. Can you explain to me this uh uh, Fed started off yesterday, uh, uh, Powell talking about how non-bank lending is an issue, I mean, uh, particularly in mortgages. Is he worried about a company like SoFi? You know, we have really strong risk controls. We have one of the best risk officers in the world, Kevin Moss. He's got more than 35 years experience, and we take it very seriously. When I joined the company in March, the number one priority was making sure that we focused on quality of loans over quantity of loans. Knowing the interest rate raising environment was coming, we wanted to focus on per loan economics for two reasons. One, we wanted the loans that we created to be great investments for our asset-backed security uh, investors, but also if we keep them on our balance sheet. So we've made that pivot when I got to the company to ensure that we prepared for the longer-term rising rate environment. How about artificial intelligence? 
Um, we have not been a huge user of uh, machine learning up until this point. Uh, we hired a great executive to come in and lead that for us. And then there's a number of priorities that we have across the credit, pricing, and marketing uh, sectors, and really integrating in machine learning to give us the best opportunity to meet the needs of our members. Uh, so what's the default rate, do you think, relative to what you've known in finance? Um, it depends on what product it is. Our student loan products, the default rate is less than 1%. Good. On our personal loans, on an annual basis, it's been between 4 and 4.5%. Too high. Um, we've actually brought it down quite a bit. Um, that was a big part of the initiative we had at the beginning of the year, is tightening our credit box and making sure that we focused on quality over quantity so that these loans perform through, through the cycle. You've worked at Twitter. You've worked at Goldman Sachs, uh, the NFL. Sort of Any of those uh, experiences uh, help you uh, as background with what you do now? Absolutely. Um, I think a part of all those experiences, being a leader, helping build a world-class culture, bringing together a team that worked cohesively together to accomplish a broader mission. I think one of the most important things I learned in working at Twitter was the power of being a mission-driven company. And so one of the exciting things for me in joining SoFi is setting a mission, and that mission is to help people achieve financial independence, to realize their ambitions. That doesn't mean being rich. That means having enough money to have a house, to have children, maybe change a career, or retire early. Um, and so we're really focused on people helping people get their money right. And if we help them do that, they'll achieve that ultimate mission. Uh, kind of a nutty question, but the millennials think differently from, from me, certainly. Uh, have people met each other and gotten married who have SoFi bank accounts? I can't say that, but we do have member events that are professional networking events where um, our members get to know each other and learn just like they would in business school or in college and leverage the network and relationships they have to further their professional careers. All right, one last question. You know how much we care about veterans. You're a veteran. Thank you for serving. How about what your education uh, at the military academy and subsequently, and of course also as a star linebacker, but uh, what has it meant for you? You know, I'd say West Point has instilled in me some important attributes. First and foremost is leading by example, having a high ethical and high moral uh, fiber in everything that we do. And more importantly, working as a team and being able to come together and accomplish more together than you can as individuals. It was a, a great experience. It had the greatest profound impact on me professionally and, and something I, uh, I will always value. Well, you're an inspiration to a great number of people, not just, not just older people of our age, but younger people. And that's what you need for SoFi because it's really, again, Perfect for them. Thank you. I got to say, perfect. That's Anthony Nodes, the CEO of SoFi. Go try it. Take you 10 seconds to open, but it'll take your kids a lifetime to use because they will. They'll be excited about it. Thank you, Thank Anthony. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Okay, we had some very good quarters here to close. Workday, spectacular number. Neil Bushwick, congratulations. Splunk. Dynamite number. You know I love the analytics of that company. Then we had kind of a neutral one. My travel trust owns it. Uh, Palo Alto. I thought it might be better on cash flow than it was, but I still like the prospects very much. And then GameStop was disappointing. It. That one has become completely problematic. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.